Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. This is Alison Humphreys of Recruitment Leadership. Thanks for joining us. Um, and this is another in the current season focused on candidate shortages and what we can do about them from various perspectives. Now, I'm very pleased to be joined today by James Ball of Ad Builder. Welcome, James. Hello, Alison. Hi. James is actually uh, has, has owned and run recruitment businesses himself. And so this is very much a broadcast for those of you who want actionable, specific advice that you can literally turn into candidates and therefore, we hope, profit as soon as we finish the, the podcast today. James uh, owned and ran Coburg Banks, an IT recruitment business, and subsequently um, moved to set up Ad Builder. So perhaps, James, it would be best for you to explain your journey. Why did why did the world need Ad Builder? Well, blimey, um, the journey is quite quite a big one. As you say, twenty years ago, we we started um, the recruitment business, and uh, it was just at the start, really, of online recruitment as well. And the job boards were really just kicking off around about then. And over the years, I think one of the biggest problems we had was controlling the advert output that our consultants would write. Everyone had their own way of doing things and um, their own unique style. And typically in recruitment, everyone's a bit of a maverick. And it was very difficult to police and control the output that individuals would have. We'd get job boards coming into us, they'd present to us. Everyone would sit there furiously writing notes and nodding. And you think, yep, yeah, they've got it. And they go back to their desk and they just carry on doing it the, the way they'd always done it. And as the business owner who was spending quite a bit of money on, on job board advertising, it was really frustrating because you could see the output and you had very little control over it. And then consequently, we saw application rates were nosediving and we weren't filling roles that we thought we should be filling. If you checked sort of rankings on job boards, we were very low down. And it became it became so tricky for us that we just, we actually broke the whole process down into a number of structures and frameworks to get our, our heads around what how how we could actually make the whole thing work better for our consultants. And long well, the long story short is that over the over the journey, we decided that the, we had there had to be an easier way of making it a simpler task for our consultants to actually write an advert without having to really give it much thought or much consideration, but whilst at the same time getting the optimization piece correct. And, and that was the, the, the seed and the thought for, for App Builder. It started off as a tool for us. It, it solved our problem. Um, and we thought, well, if we've got that problem, then others must have the same problem as well. So we, we spent a bit of money and a bit of time coding it up and, and, and making a software platform out of it. Right. And you've now been running Ad Builder as a standalone business since April 2017, so nearly five years. 
And just give us an idea how many recruitment businesses you have um, supported in that time or are you currently, whichever way is easiest to answer the question? Probably around about 450 at the moment. So, I mean, they vary in size. We've got lots of one-man bands and I think the challenges for one-man bands are, are time-related. You know, they're, they're very pressed for time. And then we've got, you know, the other end, we've got 100, 100 consultant um, uh, agencies as well who um, their challenge is different as well, where they're trying to get people off LinkedIn recruiter and to start engaging more in job advertising again. And the challenge for them is that I think their recruiters just can't be bothered to write a good ad, to be honest. So they, um, they, they want, they wanted a tool to try and make that that, that process much easier. But yeah, we've got a, a big mix of, of clients and, and different needs in between. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it, you, you made some really interesting points earlier. One was about the expense and we're recording this in at the end of February um, it's been all over the recruiter sphere, if that's a thing, um, that job certain job boards have um, significantly increased their charges or are in the process of doing that. And what's interesting, I noticed on a couple of WhatsApp groups that I'm, I'm part of, is that, first of all, people have a, a knee-jerk reaction, which is, I'm just going to negotiate really hard and um, I'll just move to other job boards. But actually, I can't blame the job boards for increasing their charges. They've gone from a total of 1.2 million job adverts live in February 21 to 3.6 million in February 22. Um, That's REC data. The cost of providing that infrastructure is real for them. And they're thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, we can make the same profit with potentially fewer users, fewer jobs. Um, And that's just good business. So... What I think um, has perhaps got to to um, come home for some recruitment recruiters as yet is that there is highly likely to be a, a domino effect, isn't there, um, where other job boards will now, yeah, probably collect a few more subscribers and then increase their charges. And the same might well go for, uh, for the currently free iterations of LinkedIn and so on and so forth. So... Instead of rearranging the deck chairs on Titanic here, (laughs) um, it's really important to actually look, as you say, James, at what we're putting out there. There is no point in spending a fortune with a marketing consultancy to produce high quality content marketing if your recruiters are then producing terrible copy and and even, you know, not very literate copy um, in adverts, which are doing just as much or as little for your brand as the content marketing is. So there's an important point there. And at the same time, uh, I do meet a lot of perhaps rather inexperienced uh, recruiters who think that everything online is free. They actually believe that. (laughs) So if you're thinking that, listeners, please disabuse yourself now. Now, do stay tuned on this because James has created some really valuable PDFs for listeners to download after this. And we'll give you a link at the end um, to tell you where you can find those. But I think there's a general acceptance that while the costs may be going up, the returns on traditional job board advertising, if we don't look at it again, are decreasing quite rapidly. There's just so many adverts out there. People expect very little in the way of results and just regard it as a sort of given cost of doing business. Over to you, James. What do you think 
are the most common issues with job ads that you see today in a climate where we really need to maximise candidate engagement with them? Well, I, I think the, the, the days of just putting anything online, as you just said, and hoping you get a response are, are dead. Um, I think we had some stats through from CV Library a few weeks back, and around about 40% of all traffic won't go past page one. And if you think about that, if there's only 25 jobs on page one, and you think about the competition for jobs being so so high and, and, and a candidate-scarce market as it is, if you were to just get a job spec from a client, copy and paste it, which a lot of agencies still do, and then send it out, then you might as well set fire to your recruitment budget. In terms of the, the most common issues I see within sort of writing a job ad, there's probably four main areas, really. And the first one's job title. And that's picking, I know that sounds really, really obvious, but it's picking a job title that's actually going to get searched. Um, there's, there's so many companies I come across who will take a job title from a client, um, an internal job spec, and they just use that um, without giving any kind of thought or consideration as to who is my target hire? What do they look like? What do they, how do they think? You know, what do they say? And, and, and most importantly, what are they physically typing into a job search to find my job? And that's got to be the title that you use for your, your job advert. And you, you talked about one of the PDF or the PDF guides, and one of them is, is specifically talks about how to choose the right job title. So we've built a whole framework around it because there is a science to it. Um, but if you think backwards, if, if your job is even, isn't even going to get found, then it's dead before it even starts. Probably the second area that I, I see lots of companies falling down with is optimization. And again, a failing, if you just take a, a job spec from a client and copy and paste it, you haven't optimized it and you need to optimize it around the job title that you've you've just selected. So there is a science of that as well. Um, you meant to contextually mention a job title four, five, six times within an advert, but it has to be contextual and not spammed. Um, and if you do that then and do it correctly, then you should end up hopefully in the top um, three or four spots on a, on a job search. Um, so that's super, super, super important and making sure that the job title matches to the thing you've optimized around. Again, I know how obvious that sounds, but just get that absolutely spot on. Uh, the third area is structure. It's it's thinking like a job seeker. So 70% of all traffic goes on a mobile these days. And if you think about a mobile view, two thirds of that view is taken up with job board information. So it'll be job title, location, salary. And you've probably got space for a couple of sentences at the bottom of that of that page. If you don't think about your opening lines of a job advert and um, how it engages your your target hire, then you're making a, a huge mistake. And if you, you have to start thinking about from a candidate's perspective, what's in it for me? Don't talk about the hiring company first. They want to know what's in it for them, what they're going to get paid, where they're working, whether they're right for the role. And we adopt a principle of nodding and scrolling, and it's inbuilt into everything ad builder does. So the idea being that you see it, you nod, you scroll, nod a bit more, keep scrolling until eventually you click on the apply button. So yeah, those are three main areas. And the fourth aspect is clarity. I mean, you, you need to be really clear and really explicit about salary and location. Never, ever post an advert without a salary. You, you'll instantly lose 50% of your response if you do. And again, it's thinking about what the job seeker needs to see, these trust indicators to actually get them to send you their CV. I mean, think of the CV as being like currency. 
you know, you need to be able to give them something for them to give you something. And if they have any uncertainty about what the job is doing or um, what it's paying, then you won't get a CV from them. Um, and also, it's, it's come to light recently, particularly around kind of working from home and flexible working conditions, be explicit about the location that the individual is working in. And that will also boost engagement and responses. And I, I genuinely think if you concentrate in those four areas and get them right, then you'll maximise candidate engagement. Okay, that's a brilliant answer. And I'm so glad you mentioned this issue of salary. So I've been quoting this at people for years that it uh, at least a, a a realistic range, if not a precise number, is absolutely critical to encourage people to respond and and to actually to make sure that the people who do respond are broadly in the right in the right bracket. There are a couple of other urban myths that have grown up um, that I hear often repeated, but I'm going to take the opportunity to check them with you because you clearly know what you're talking about. Um, the first is that the magic number for optimization of repeating your key search terms is seven. Is that true? Well, we don't do seven. Um, we do four or five, depending on the version that you, you choose. And we have a, we've got a video actually on the website showing the optimization in practice for, um, I think the term is senior recruitment consultant. And I would always say, say to someone, go and do a nationwide search of that job title. See how popular it is. That's the one you use. And um, that one was something like 3,000 for uh, the country. And the ad builder built advert was sixth in the whole country. So when you then refine that down to the location, it was top. Um, and I think that had, I got four or five. I, I, I think, to be honest, the, the variation it varies between job boards. So, you know, seven sounds like a magic number. I think having four, five, six, seven probably won't make a, a huge difference, but just, just get it in. We go for four or five. We've we've done that because over many years of split testing it and trying it, it worked for us, and and that's what we do. But yeah, it's, it's it is it is super important. And I think the part of the problem is is that as a recruiter, if you sit there with a blank sheet of paper thinking what am I going to write for the advert, it's so tempting to just pull out a job spec and copy it in, or copy an old advert and use chunks of text you've used before. The problem with that is that you then have to go through the piece if you're going to do the job properly and you've then got to shoehorn the job title in, in somehow to, to kind of make it work. And that becomes quite a manual, laborious task for the recruiter who just wants to get on with the next thing and, and not particularly sort of give this much care and attention. And that's why um, adverts invariably then fail or don't, don't work like they should. Yeah, brilliant. So just to, to um, summarise your four key headings, they were get the job title right, there were structure, optimization, and clarity. Yeah, definitely. Get that. There are four four major things. I mean, there's there's so many facets to it, but you you get those bits right, and everything will just slot into place. Yeah, and a very interesting point you made about the first two lines. We need to be selling the opportunity in those first two lines, not waiting to the the bottom. Yeah, because of the way things are displayed. So, a really good point there about the mobile view. Okay. Now, way back when, in the mid-1980s, when I was in recruitment initially, we were reliant on press advertising, you know, actual papers. And um, not only did that mean that you had to wait, wait at least a week before your copy appeared in print, and then wait for people to read it and type something and post it to you and so forth, but... It also meant that it was it was a, a sort of one-off. People could only see it if they read that copy of the publication. 
it cost a fortune, an absolute fortune. So I can remember when the Times, the Sunday Times, had a, a great big appointment section. I'm sure you're not old enough to remember that. <laughs> anyway, great big broadsheet size appointment section. And I, this figure, people don't believe me, but listen up, guys. An eighth of a page in that Sunday Times appointment section was £15,000 for a one-off hit. Absolutely staggering. Now, perhaps because it was so damned expensive and you had such a limited exposure, to be fair, people actually did take a lot of care about what went into their copy um, rather than just rushing to get something up on the boards. So I think the relatively low cost an ease of posting something, technically ease of posting something, have been factors that have led us into this position now, where adverts are poor and they're unhelpful to potential candidates and they don't do the job. Are there any other factors you think that lead to poor or disappointing job advertising? Well, I, I too remember the press advertising because we used to have all our adverts going out, maybe not in the Times, but it was the local newspapers. And on a Thursday night, everyone would go and get the uh, the newspaper and you'd bring it into the office and then you'd, you'd be cutting out opportunities that you could then go and try and canvas, um, which is, if you think about how advertising works now, it, it's crazy, isn't it? I think you, uh, you're right about cost and barriers to entry. I think the fact that um, online advertising is so relatively cheap compared to print media, although the costs are going up right now. It's still incredibly cheap compared to an advert, even in the Times Education Supplement, for instance. I think there is generally less thought that goes into it. And it's it's also so easy to do. If you've got broad bean or even if you go straight to a job board, you know you can get an advert live in minutes. And it's, it's incredibly quick. It's almost this kind of disposable nature to it as well. And, you know, I know, I know many consultancies who would, they get to the point of an advert not working, then a week later dive into Broadbean and click on resend without even looking at what's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong. You think, oh, we'll just get it out there again. There's bound to be someone out there who will find it. Yeah, I, I don't, I think most consultants are aware about the need to optimise. I think the execution's tricky, it takes time, it's probably why people don't do it. Um, and as we said earlier, if you just copy and paste a job set from a client, there's there's no optimization in it. But yeah, I, I think it boils down to cost. I think if you if you advertise online, sorry offline, you are spending a lot of money. You've got their attention because they're flicking through the pages, and it's not found through a search, so it's more passive than active, I guess. Um, so you have to be more careful about what goes into it. And I would add two other factors. Um, one is, of course, the uh, you know the need for speed so the thing is it's a, it's creating a, a, a sort of self-destructive um, habit isn't it rushing to be the first person to have posted that job ad is unlikely to get you the results that spending you know a, just a little bit more time will get you and so it's self-defeating to rush something out that's rubbish it's also now going to be much more expensive and i think if we're really honest though it what it also goes back to is this whole business of resetting the relationship with the client because a lot of people just struggle to get the the information they need to craft a good job advert 
I found it helpful when sometimes, you know, trying to persuade clients that they need to speak to me. They can't just email me eight bullet points that, you know, I've actually suggested to them that they try going on to job boards and searching themselves for a job in, you know, title and see just how limiting it is if all you've got is eight bullet points and you've got nothing to sell the job with, nothing that um, makes it stand out or bring it to, to life. Okay. Now, I'd like to go back and revisit two of the things you've already touched on, structure and optimization. So if we can just dig down on structure in a little bit more detail, I think it's possible that our listeners are thinking, you mean, write this in the first line, write this in the second line, write this in the third line. So could you just expand a little bit on that? Yes. I mean, to be completely honest, it probably is a bit of that. You know, there, there is a science to it. There's an order to it. There's a psychology to it as well. So you're constantly thinking of who is the target hire. Um, we touched on it earlier, but who are they? What are they like? What are their wants? What are their needs? It's, it's how a marketing department would go about creating a, an advertising campaign. You know, they create marketing personas. Um, they have an idea of who they want to go to. And as a recruiter, you will know um, in your mind's eye who your target hire is. You'll know probably what they look like, probably how they sound, what they, how the language they use, what their hobbies are. And that's how you've got to try and write an advert. Um, and if you start to treat the advert a bit like a piece of marketing, because that's what, exactly what it is, then you're, you're going to be on the right track. If you write the advert with them in mind and you're constantly thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And you structure the advert in a way that talks to them and gets them nodding and scrolling, uh, as we, we said earlier, you, it's going to make a massive difference. It, it takes a lot of time and practice. And we cover the structure, actually, in one of the PDFs he talked about. So we call it the perfect job advert framework. But to just to quickly go through it, we um, the way we would advocate building a job advert is we have an opening section which is the bit where you have to engage with them and you have to try and get their interest because you've got seven seconds before they go and find a different job. Then we'll talk about the job, so what they'll be doing within the role. Then we talk about what you're looking for from the perfect candidate. Then we talk about the package, so what they're going to get paid um, and how that works for them. Then we talk about the, the hiring company. So that comes last. doesn't come at the top. It comes last within the advert. And then the, the final bit, which is a, a really important bit, is the call to action. So this can bump up response rates by about 7 or 8%. But just by simply asking for someone to send you their CV, um, something like, if you're interested, um, send us your CV or apply now, whatever it might be, just something like that as a throwaway line at the bottom, that, again, just finishes the advert off and, and can make a, make a difference to your overall application rate. Do you have any thoughts on um, imposing a deadline for, for applications? it's not something we've done in practice because generally speaking the the job boards you've got a self-imposed deadline anyway because of the amount of time um, they'll keep the advert live so uh, you know whether it's seven days or 28 days depending on your contract and the job board um, I know some clients will have deadlines for dates and um, you know planned interview dates when we've recruited in the past we've just been looking for the right person and we'll you know we, I think part of the communication back to the client is trying to control that process and if they do have deadline dates and I remember as a recruiter you try and extend that as much as you can to you find the right person um so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent towards that you know it doesn't for me it doesn't make a huge difference either way and what about things like so um I've was told early on in my career that you will always get better rates of response if it's to a named individual 
than to a, you know, info at type address. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, are, are we talking from what, from an email perspective or? Yeah. So, so in the call to action, how to apply, I was always advised that if you make it to Alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk instead of just info at you will encourage more replies. What do you think about that? Well, the problem you got with that within the context of a job advert on a job board is that most job boards will strip out any email addresses. So in that instance, if you're advertising on a job board, it would be click the apply button would be the call to action. The job boards are very keen to push you through their system so they can give you metrics on how their advert converted, how many views to applications it got. If you take them offline to an email address, they can't measure that. It's different if you're doing it your own job board or your own so your own website or job board on your own website. Because then you can take them off and you can retain control the other way because it doesn't really matter. Um, I think so long as the call to action is 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 targeted and, and very easy. And obviously on a job board, the apply button's normally on the right hand side or very close to where the advert is. Um, and you're, you're just guiding them to take the action. And I, I, marketers do this all the time. There'll be a call to action, go and do this, go and do that. And it's this kind of subconscious, subtle psychological trick that actually gets a person who's got to the end of the advert of thinking, yeah, I'm sending my CV. Mm, okay, thank you. Now, you mentioned earlier, you said that the, the ideal structure was engage them first, Then describe the job, then describe what you want from the ideal applicant, then the package, and then about the organisation. So I think a lot of our listeners will be surprised to hear that, um, particularly that that positioning of the information about the company. What's the rationale for that? Because you're thinking about what's in it for me. And a lot of companies who we deal with, a lot of our clients, will invariably start off with, my client is a leading so-and-so, my client does this. And I think they're almost trying to impress the reader that you should come and work for this company. And I personally take the view that human psychology doesn't work that way. And I think they need to know what's in it for them sooner. And I think if they get through those steps of, of, of mentally, we were nodding and scrolling, t- everything's a tick. So they tick, 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 tick. And then by the time they get to the company section, that's the thing that seals the deal. Also, there's not that many companies really that are that appealing that's going to get someone going, yeah, I want to work for them. There's only so many Googles and Coca-Colas and whatever in the world. And the majority of clients that um, your listeners are going to be recruiting for probably won't be in that field. So to lead with information about a company that probably is going to be quite difficult to dress up um, for the majority of job ads is, is quite challenging. So you're you're trying to get them into thinking yeah i want i can i am that person i can do that job i've got the skills i've got the qualifications it's paying me the right amount of money and you almost kind of want to make the, the company information almost incidental it's again it's about making you're, you're trying to cast particularly right now it's so important to cast the net as wide as possible and get as many interested people as possible sending you their cv and giving you the best possible chance of, uh, of filling the role mm. Thank you. Okay, so I think to summarise what you're saying there, if the uh, the actual company is the main selling proposition of the opportunity, in other words, it's a it's a world leader or it's um, got some fantastic new product development or something like that, then it might be the first thing that you address because that's 
it, that's how you're going to engage the reader. But otherwise, for most companies don't have that level of brand recognition. And as a recruiter, you probably don't want to give away who they are anyway. So <laughs> exactly, I think as well, if you if if you have a in your mind's eye, if you as a candidate, if you think I want to go and work for Coca Cola, whatever, you'd go and look in Coca Cola's careers pages. So if you think if you think backwards again, if you're searching on total jobs, you start off with a job title, you punch it in, a list of jobs come up, and you'll see generally, obviously, the who the recruiter is the hiring company and then you'll just go through the job sequentially trying to find the one that's right for you and sending your cv accordingly so i think it, again it's all about thinking about how a user works in that process and i think they're, they're looking for things that best suit their circumstances their requirements they want to know whether they're working in an office five days a week whether there's flexible working what the benefits are what it pays them and can they do the job so it's this constant thinking of what's in it for me and just putting yourself in, in, in their shoes. Okay. And you mentioned earlier um, a, 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 a cliche that um, arouses strong opinions. The recruiter phrase, my client is. So I'm going to push you on this one. <laughs> yes or no? I, I, honestly, I don't think it really matters that much. Um, I think you're, you're just, we see the, the company section as adding a bit of colour to the advert. It's about getting people over the line. So hopefully you've gotten to the point of thinking, yeah, that's perfect. I can do that. And then you're looking at reasons why someone should work for that company. And, and then you put those, you put that in there. So people work for this company because they are, they empower their individuals to do this. They work out of state of the art offices whatever it might be, uh, I'm not sure it matters massively how you phrase that, you know, because again, it's, it's towards the bottom. If it's the first thing you mentioned in advert, it becomes super important how you phrase it. And to be honest, the whole, my client is a market leading blah, 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 for me is really beige and vanilla and would turn me off and wouldn't get me engaged in, in the whole thing. And I've seen that a thousand times before and it wouldn't stand out. So you, I, I wouldn't include it personally, but I don't think it makes a massive difference if it's lower down the advert. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now, you mentioned earlier about the importance of getting as many relevant people as possible, widening your net, which brings us neatly around to the whole issue of diversity and inclusion. So I know lots and lots of recruiters have great intentions about this, but they often lack actions to give themselves the most um, diverse you know, selection of, of candidates. And I think um, I think it's fair to say that very often they probably address the whole issue better with clients if they could describe what actions they themselves take. So thinking again here about um, not just advert copy, but also practicing where and when and so forth that you, that you place them, what can we do to encourage the widest possible diversity and inclusion? I think as a recruiter, I think you, you, you're right. I think it's difficult to actually demonstrably prove that you can support a client with being more inclusive with their hiring. I think it's um, it's a tricky thing. More and more clients, companies are demanding that their agencies are are, are doing or proving they can do something. I know there's a, a, a publishing company with one of our clients and they have gone to them with a, a new set of terms, 30 pages long, these terms are. Five of these pages are dedicated to DNI. And what they're expecting the agency now to do in terms of getting through that and making sure they're on the right side of the DNI line. 
It's very difficult, I think. But one of the obviously, for, I'm coming at this from an advertising perspective. One of the most obvious routes where a company could prove that they would, can support you in being more inclusive is to remove any unconscious bias or any prejudice or any gender coded or exclusionary language that exists within a job advert. We actually built a DNI tool into Ad Builder to do exactly that. Actually, and we called it Ad Grader. But the, the the thinking behind it is is that everybody has a degree of unconscious bias within them, and they they the, in their language and the things they say, they probably won't know that words they're using are um, feminine coded, masculine coded. But there's so much um, research and so many stats to prove if you've got a heavily feminine coded advert, you'll put men off applying and vice versa. Um, you could be stopping people or making people deselect themselves just by uh, like a subconscious um, narrative that's going in their head based on the words you're using. So to be able to prove um, that you eliminate this, these words, these potential um, blockers, I think that's a great BD tool, actually. You can go back to your clients and say, look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. You win more new business. And in fact, I know one client of ours who she goes through total jobs and she's targeting companies she wants to work with. So she'll get their advert off. So end advert, end employer advert. And she puts them into ad grader and she shows them a before and after. So with an inclusivity score and a readability score. And she'll say, this is what your advert was before. And this is what I've done to it afterwards. Can we talk? And um, so she's sort of proactively targeting these companies who are pushing hard for DNI, but then showing them that their advert, in fact, has got an inclusivity score of 55%, and then she can massively improve it and demonstrate how it works. So I, I think there's a there's a big angle recruiters can take with this. Not many recruiters are on top of this right now as well. I think they're slow to be um, aware of it. And I think if the, the companies that do something about it this year, in fact, you know, I think they'll, they'll leap or, or leap a march on, on many of their competitors. And they'll position themselves as the agency to do business with. Um, so they'll be able to go to companies and say, look, this is how we can do or help your, your DNI objectives and goals. And they'll probably end up getting on more PSLs and, and getting more roles as a result. So, yeah, I think it's, this year is a big year for DNI. I think it's massively important. Yes. I mean, it really doesn't wash anymore, does it, to say we support, you know, we, we do everything we can. People want to know what you, you're doing to support a, a diverse candidate list. And um, there was another point I wanted to add here. Yes, I know. I I read some uh, research and I cannot for the life of me remember who it was from. And it was about some of the, the fra- how the phrasing of some of your inclusivity statements will massively affect the actual number of applications from the underrepresented groups. Now, the, the example that stuck in my mind was you can either put a little, you know, a, a standard line on the bottom of an advert that says such and such is an equal opportunities employer, for example, which frankly isn't worth the space it's written on because by law you have to be an equal opportunities employer. Yeah. And that what that message tells the average reader is that this is this organization is out of date. They're box ticking. They're not really actively looking for diversity and inclusion. And they compared it, they'd actually run, you know, a like-for-like controlled test. They compared it to where someone put a very natural language message that said something along the lines of, you know, hey, we know that in the past we haven't seen enough candidates from ethnic minorities, whatever it might be, or people with disabilities. And we are really keen to encourage you to apply. 
it won't be used as a as a reason to appoint people. You know, so it actually said something that sounded genuine and, and meaningful. I can believe that. I think it makes a difference. I think, you know, one thing that's taught me, we, we launched ad, the AdGrader um, platform in August last year, and we spent about three or four months building it out. And the more work we did in it, the more research we, we did in it, and the more we found the studies and from Harvard and from wherever, um, which backed everything up. From a com- just on a commercial point of view, it actually makes a massive difference to the number of applications you receive. It's so even if you perhaps as a recruiter don't fully buy into the whole concept of DNI and gender coded language and does it really make a difference? It does make a difference. And obviously it's it's great to be seen as a recruiter with a conscience because I think that's gonna really help with with companies you're targeting from a BD perspective. But in the ability for you to go and fill roles and make more placements and make more money ultimately, which is what most recruiters want to do, then this it does make a difference because it's this internal narrative that someone's got in their head. They don't even know that they're having this narrative and conversation, but it's it's they're, they're, it's happening and they're deselecting themselves from an advert just because of the language that you're using. So I can totally take on board what you're saying about the difference between those two statements and the impact that could have. Um, you've mentioned, you know, some of the some of the features of Ad Builder, which sound really intriguing. Um, before we, we explain to people how to get in contact with you, what evidence have you got from recruiters that using Ad Builder can actually increase the quantity and quality of the response? Well, the, the, I mentioned it earlier. We've got a really good video on our homepage, and I'd encourage everyone to go and have a look at it. It's agencies.adbuilder.io, and it shows the optimization in practice. And it was the it was the um, senior recruitment consultant role, and there was something like. 2,900 results and it just shows you um, the ability of AdBuilder to, to, to get you high up the rankings. I think what AdBuilder will do for recruiters, what it does do for recruiters, it gets you in the shop window. I think the shop window is, is the most important part initially. So assuming you've got the right job title and we've talked about that already, but assuming you've got the right job title and you've used AdBuilder, it'll be optimized. You'll be in the top three or four spots for that particular job search. So you're going to be there. We obviously can't control the salary that someone's paying. We can't control the perks and benefits within the job. And our ability to split test job ads within job boards, it doesn't happen. So unfortunately, I can't physically prove that advert A is better than advert B because the job boards don't allow it. But anecdotally, and also from from the feedback we get from our clients, they see fill rates go up by around about 165% after using AdBuilder. So we see higher levels of revenue. We see that there's an average of three extra candidates per uh, advert shortlist. So we have a lot of anecdotal um, proof from our uh, recruitment agency clients who, who turn around and say, yeah, it's made a, a massive difference. But what I would desperately love is the ability for a job board to say, just split test a job, a job ad. And then we could go and show it because we, this is, I mean, as I say, it, this solved our problem. So we know this works. Um, going back 10, 15 years. And we've just moved that across into the um, into the wider area. Right, okay. So split testing, and you know what, If you even if the job boards don't allow it, worth doing on your own website and job search, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant, okay. So um, you've mentioned, we've mentioned about the, the various PDFs that you've created um, that will give people, you know, who, who may or may not want to look further into into subscribing to AdBuilder, but this is just great free stuff 
that James has made available. So once again, James, where can they, where can people, the listeners download this stuff? Well, if you just head to adbuilder.io slash bundle, um, that's adbuilder.io slash bundle. It's um, there's four PDFs in there. They're, they're all the frameworks that we used back in the day to actually go and, go and build a really good job advert. And they're all the frameworks that underpin everything that AdBuilder does. So whether you use AdBuilder or not, if you just go and take the lessons from these PDFs and go and do it for yourself, it will make a massive difference to, to your advertising and how you recruit. So yeah, just just head over there and, and, and download it. Okay, so thank you. That's a fantastic free resource, and I, I, you know, I've got these documents myself, and I really can recommend them. And of course, you can from the website you can pick up directly with James if you want to look more at the the product ad builder. So James, many thanks for a fascinating and really actionable podcast today. Uh, and um, I'm Alison Humphreys. Anyone who's listening. This is part of a series about candidate shortages and what you can do about them, which I hope will add to your uh, understanding and profitability ultimately. Um, But it is part of the picture. Um, So if you're looking for board advisory um, or executive coaching that actually looks at the whole of your business, please get in contact with me, alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk. James Ball of AdBuilder, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Alison. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn, where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.